welcome everybody this morning. We got a great crowd for Sunday school, and we appreciate that. Everybody making an effort to be here, and uh, we appreciate our children. We woke up this morning, and uh, we had this service on our mind right away, and uh, we just, uh, we got some burdens and some people we'd like to see get saved, and uh, some people that need to get back in, and uh, we were able to pray a little bit and just ask the Lord to be in this service this morning and uh, help us to do what we need to do, and uh, we're just uh, excited and uh, I guess just have a lot of anticipation for our service this morning. I pray the Lord's here in a mighty way, and uh, we allow uh, we allow him to move through us and uh, do everything that's asked of us this morning. And, uh, we'll ask Brother Mike Nichols dismiss Sunday school. Appreciate everybody being here this morning and uh, appreciate Carl giving me the opportunity to teach today. And uh, I'll tell you, the last couple weeks, he, uh, he has done a great job teaching. And uh, I guess it was last week uh, that you've taught a lot of lessons and I've listened to you for a long time. I don't know I've ever heard you teach any better. Uh, that was a tough lesson and boy, the Lord really blessed you. Appreciate you. So today we're going to be in 2 Samuel in the 12th chapter is where our lesson is at. So um, some interesting things as you're turning there. The book of Samuel, there's 1st and 2nd Samuel in our Bible. Now this is just commentary. Um, this isn't biblical, but I'll just tell you some things that I, I found out studying for this lesson. Now, the book of Samuel was written as one book. Uh, according to the commentary, it was divided into two books. Nothing changed about the, the story or any of the verses or anything, but divided into two books because it was too big to fit into one scroll when they originally translated it. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, book of Samuel written... Uh, according to history and, and commentary, written by Samuel, uh, at least up until his death, obviously, and then uh, probably written by Nathan, who we uh, see and, and we're going to talk about in this lesson today, and uh, another prophet named Gad, uh, who was a prophet of David. And there's a couple of uh, instances where that he's mentioned, not really in today's lesson, but uh, just thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, the history kind of indicates it's probably those three fellows uh, that, uh, that wrote the book of Samuel. And so certainly today in this interaction, uh, either Nathan uh, wrote this or spoke to somebody and gave somebody the history of what's going on, because, I mean, I believe this is probably 
uh, written by Nathan. He certainly has a lot of insight into what's going on. So uh, <clears throat> when we get to this lesson today, I want to kind of set uh, the backdrop for what has just happened. King David, uh, according to, again, just commentary, and I, and I tell you that because some of these things I can't pull out of the Bible, but I go to commentaries and people that have studied it. It just helps me from a kind of a timeline to understand where we're at. Uh, so King David was in his teens when he fought uh, Goliath. Some of the timelines will tell you 15, some will say as old as 19. He was approximately 30 when he was anointed king over Judah, and he was probably around 37 when he was anointed king over the entire nation of Israel. All right, so that just kind of tells you, gives you some backdrop there. When he uh, took Bathsheba and killed Uriah, he was approximately 57. So he had been king, according to that timeline, if that's correct, he'd been king over the entire nation of Israel about 21 years. He had had some interactions with Nathan previously, uh, prior to this lesson. And those interactions had been pretty good. The one interaction Nathan went and met with him uh, back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and Nathan basically said, go, David told him what he wanted to do, and, and Nathan said, God's with you. Go and, go and uh, do the desires of your heart. So a good interaction. So I think uh, David and Nathan had a pretty good relationship. So where are we at here? So in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, if you went back and read that, uh, it's probably, unfortunately, the most famous uh, discussion of what David did. Uh, I told my kids when they were small, and I still tell them now, but I told them when they were all small, uh, live your life in such a way that you're not remembered by your worst action. I don't want to be remembered by the worst thing I do. I hope people will remember me for something positive when I'm gone. All right? I don't want to be remembered for the worst thing that I do. So, David, when you think of David, <clears throat> man, you think, I, I think of uh, two things real quick. I think of him throwing the, the stone and, and killing the giant, and I think of him committing adultery with Bathsheba and killing her husband. That's the two things I think of. And that one is maybe the, the most uh, well-known thing that people relate with David. And so chapter 11, that's what it's, it's telling that story. It's telling how uh, David saw her, should have been in a battle, and wasn't. There's a, boy, there's a lot right there. Should have been off in a battle, but was home in the kingdom, had his proxies, with Joab was a great general, but he had Joab out there running the war when David should have been there himself. And sees Bathsheba, lusts after her, takes her, she's pregnant, then he sends for, he thinks, you know, bad enough that he's already, he's messed this up, this bad, sends for Uriah, Uriah comes home but won't go in and, and be with Bathsheba because the men are out there on the battlefield and I won't go in and, and be with my wife when my men are out there fighting, sleeping in tents. So David sends word back to Joab with Uriah and says, put him at the hottest part of the battle and withdraw from him. Kill him. So that happens. And you think about Uriah, what a great guy this. You think about how messed up sin will make you. Here's a guy that is dedicated, great warrior, doing everything that the king should have wanted, should have been put on a pedestal for his dedication. And David sends word and tells Joab, essentially kill him. You know, why? Because of David's sin trying to hide it so that all happens David takes Bathsheba marries her and thinks he's got it 
all covered up. Who's ever been there? Who's, who's ever been, I got it covered up? Boy, I have. I'll raise my hand. So that leads us to, that's the end of chapter 11. So here we are in chapter 12. So let's see what happens. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. So, Nathan's prophet, good relationship with David. I got to tell you, takes a lot of guts to do what Nathan is getting ready to do right here. All right? Because David's the king. And if, even though he likes Nathan... If he don't like what Nathan tells him, he can just put Nathan, kill him, put him in a dungeon. A lot of kings put prophets, treated them awful bad. You can look over in Jeremiah and see what Jeremiah went through. So it uh, takes a lot of guts to do what Nathan did here. But he tells him a story. Starts off, two people, one rich, one poor. I think David identified with the poor guy. I think all through this, this parable that Nathan tells him, I think David is relating to the poor person. Because David grew up, and, you know, Jesse, you know, uh, wasn't the poorest person in the kingdom, but he, he certainly wasn't the richest person in the kingdom either. And I think, and David grew up, and we'll get on down here and see what he's talking about with the sheep, but David, he was a shepherd. He spent time out in the field taking care of sheep. And I think, but he starts right off rich and poor. I think, I don't think David's going, well, I'm the king. I'm the richest guy there is. I think he starts identifying with, with the poor guy. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. So David is relating to all this. Here's a man that when he was a young boy was out in the fields taking care of sheep. There are stories that we have about a lion coming up and David went and fought the lion and killed it to protect his sheep. There are stories we've got of a bear coming out and attacking the sheep and David went and killed the bear and protected the sheep. So he certainly understands this relationship and he's relating with the poor person in this story. All right. And Nathan's setting him up, all right? I don't think David realized what Nathan did to him until this was completely over, all right? Nathan is, is a, is, I mean, he's setting him up here. Uh, so let's keep reading. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man, and was come that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. So rich man's got a visitor that comes to him, and instead of going and getting his own sheep, and he had plenty, he goes and takes the poor man's lamb, kills it, dresses it, and feeds it to the man. So here's David's reaction. And David's anger was greatly kindled. So he's relating again to this, this poor fellow against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. <coughs> so, in the commentary... It talks about uh, under the law uh, for the children of Israel back in Exodus that it actually discusses if a neighbor takes a, another neighbor's uh, 
a sheep takes one of his sheep. And if that happens, the rule of law was that that would be restored fourfold. So that's the second thing that David says here. It's not a death penalty. Kind of interesting. David making judgment as the king, a harsher judgment than the law, and this man's going to die, and he's going to have to re return what he took fourfold. All right. Who's ever looked at somebody else and said, Sock it to him, Lord. Again, I'll acknowledge that I have. All right. I think if we were all honest in here, every hand in the building would have went up. Maybe there's somebody that's a lot better than me. I've looked around at people that I go to church with or, or you know, and, and they do something wrong or get out of line or I'd hear, did you hear about so-and-so? They did this or that or, you know, I think. Man, I hope the Lord socks it to him for that. You know, I have. I've thought that way. I mean, that's just me. That's my little bitty mind that you guys hear about from time to time when I teach. It's a lot easier to feel like sock it to him, Lord, when it's the other guy. I don't feel so much that way when it's me that gets out of line. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. That's good. about God's mercy and a great story and I've heard you tell that from the pulpit before yeah. appreciate you sharing that yeah. I'm all about God's mercy when it's me we should be all about God's mercy when whoever it is really I mean uh, when somebody takes a step out of line that's one of our brothers or sisters we ought to be prayerful and praying for God to help them and give them an opportunity to get back in line and extend mercy to them because we're either there today or we'll be there tomorrow in some form or fashion. Now, I've never done what David has done, but sin is sin. If you offend in one, you offend in all. So, you know, so let's go on here and look at it what what happens now David has said well this is what should happen see he thinks Nathan I really think David thinks that the story Nathan is telling him is a true story I, and and that it's somebody in his kingdom and and he's so he's told Nathan what he thinks should happen so let's see what Nathan now says and Nathan said this is verse 7 and Nathan said to David thou art the man 
boy. How do you think David felt at that point? Think about that. God has looked at me a few times and said, Thou art the man. That's a bad feeling. Don't like to be there. Not a place I want to be. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now, if you go back and read that exchange that took place in 2 Samuel chapter 7, there's some of this stuff that Nathan gets tells David here that he had told him before. And it was in a positive, and he was blessing him and telling him what God had done for him and was going to do for him. It's, it's a, so it's kind of reminiscent. And I know David is, is thinking back to that, to that point. I mean, he's thinking back because Nathan starts telling him some of the same things. I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Saul, and we all know the story, but King Saul tried to kill David. He got jealous of him, tried to kill him. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. So when David became king, everything that Saul had became David's. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. Gives him the entire kingdom and unites them under David. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. He's telling him, if that wasn't enough, if there was something else you needed, I would have given you that. It takes me back to that lesson last week when we were over in Deuteronomy. And God is talking to the children and he said, remember, you were a bondsman in Egypt. And I redeemed you. And now I'm asking this of you. So that's kind of what Nathan is saying. He's reminded David, man, God brought you out of the field over here, tending sheep, and made you king of Israel. Verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Question mark. This is a question. He's asking him, why in the world did you do this? I think the farther he goes, if I'm David, his heart's just sinking like this. I mean, you know, the farther he goes, the more and more David's heart is sinking. David, you know, started this conversation thinking, that thing with Bathsheba and Uriah, I've got that covered up. It's hidden. It's, you know, but God, right? But God. Thou hast, so this is middle of verse 9. So Nathan here gets very specific with him. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. So if, if David thought that he had this hid, Nathan's making it real clear. This isn't hidden. This is open. And has taken his wife to be thy wife. And has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. He lets him know, I know, and God knows, that you, you killed Uriah. You sent him over, and he tells him how he did it. You sent him over in battle against the Ammonites and killed him. You murdered him and took his wife. Man, what a bad, bad spot to be from David's standpoint here. Now, let's think about this again from Nathan's standpoint. Man, what a lot of guts it takes to go here in before the king and tell him deliver this message in this way. I mean, lot of guts there um, the Bible doesn't say how Nathan came to know all these things I don't know God may have just showed it to him somebody in the 
kingdom may have witnessed it and realized what was going on and went and told Nathan. Not really sure. Doesn't matter. Uh, but you're not going to hide things from God. Ultimately, God is going to find you out if you do something like this. God, God knows it. And it, you know he needed Nathan to know it, so Nathan knew it and went and told David. So, there's a little break here, and then we'll get on down to verse 13 in a minute. But So, let's think about at this point, because in verse 13 and 14 and 15, they continue their conversation. David apologizes, and Nathan tells David what his punishment's going to be. So, before we get there, let's talk a little bit about repentance or apology and then I also want to talk about what's God's motive for punishing because right. there's there's some good insight here as to what that is so but let's go to apology when my kids were small and they would get in trouble and it was mostly Trey getting in trouble <laughs> but no I mean all of them got in trouble uh, but when they would come and apologize, I'm sorry, Dad, I'm sorry, Mom. Becky and I's response to them was, apology means you're not going to do this again. Is that what you mean by this? Because we wanted them to understand that apology meant turning away from what you just did. A lot of people, me included, have been sorry that I got caught. All right? Who's ever been there? I've been there. I've been sorry that I got caught. I wasn't really so sorry that I had done the transgression. I was sorry that I'd been caught and now was going to be punished for the transgression. All right. There's a difference. I mean, I've been in court with, you know, people that have been charged with a crime and been found guilty, and the judge will let them have an opportunity to make a statement. And almost every one of them, if they say anything, will say, well, I'm sorry. And the judge, judges a lot of times will engage them and say, well, what are you sorry for? Because they're trying to understand if they're sorry really because they're wanting to turn from what they've done. Or are they sorry because they got caught? There's a difference. And so the, the advantage that God has is he's omniscient. He knows he sees in our heart where one of the judges or me when I was trying to raise my kids, I would talk to them and make my best decision, but sometimes I may miss it. I may think, boy, they're really sorry, and they may not have been, but God knows because he sees our heart. He understands. Are we really sorry for what we've done, or are we sorry that we've been caught? So... Let's take a look here in verse 13 and uh, look at this apology that David makes. And then let's look at the, the discussion about his punishment. And then we'll come back to that, that question that I asked. What's God's motive for punishing us? All right, so think about that. Verse 13. And David said unto Nathan... I have sinned against the Lord. You notice what's missing here? There's no but. How many times have I tried to, when I was young, mom and dad will tell you this, you know, they'd get after me and I'd say, I'm sorry, but... I lost track of time was why I didn't come home by my curfew. I'm sorry for not being home, but I didn't have a watch. Or, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, whatever. And, and it's okay to try to make an explanation of what the circumstances were, but we shouldn't make an excuse when we're apologizing. When we're truly apologizing, we should apologize. David doesn't say, 
I've sinned against God, but boy, she was really pretty, and she was out on the roof, and I was looking over. He didn't do any of that. He just said, Nathan, I've sinned against God. Nathan said unto David, The Lord also has put away thy sins. Thou shalt not die. Okay. David had just, just a couple of minutes before it said, that person should die. He, he had passed what judgment he would have had. So Nathan's telling him here, God hears your apology and your acknowledgement that you've sinned. You're not going to die. God's not going to take your life for this. Okay. Although, how be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. That's pretty hard. You've messed up so bad that this baby, this child that you and Bathsheba just had, is going to die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And then, of course, we know on down in this chapter that uh, it's reported that the child dies. So apology. Not going to do that again. Really turning from it. If you've got to apologize, don't make an excuse, but this or but that or I didn't have my watch or the dog ate my homework um, you know, if you're really sorry apologize that's what God wants that's what David does here as bad as this is David's apology is textbook I mean it's really good he meant it and I'll show you how I know he meant it here in just in, in a little bit so let's go back to my question. What's God's purpose for punishing us? He's punished me. If you're a Christian and been on this way for very long, I believe he's punished you because he says that he'll punish those whom he loves. His, he'll punish. He told David that. What's God's purpose for punishing us? Is he some almighty guy up there with a kind of a zap stick who kind of gets, you know, enjoys going pow, pow. That's not God. That's not it. What's the reason? What do you think? He wants to make both of those are right on. He wants us to, I don't know if you could hear it. He wants us to learn from our mistakes, and he absolutely does. And he wants us to be a stronger Christian. And I agree with those. Anybody else? Let's look here at what Nathan tells David. Verse 14. Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. All right. Blasphemy. Turning or not believing the gospel. Not believing that the Lord is the Lord and that God is God and that's our only way to salvation. That's blasphemy. All right. God's entire purpose is for people to come to salvation. He sent his son to die for us for that reason. He wants us to live a Christian life so that we can lead and inspire people to want salvation. When we get out of line and aren't doing what God wants us to do, we cannot be an inspiration to anyone else towards salvation. That's why God punishes us. 
But if you look at this, it, it's really, it, it lays it out. Nathan told David, God is going to punish you. He's going to take this child because you have brought reproach on God's name. I've done all this for you and set you up. You're the king. And now you've made this big blunder. And a lot of people that would have believed may now not believe. That's why God punishes, okay? Now, I told you that David really did repent. He was really sorry. How do I know that? Let's turn to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. This is a psalm written by David. And if you look at the notes, my Bible has this. I don't know if every Bible does. This isn't actually part of the scripture, but it's just some commentary right before this chapter begins. But it said, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So David wrote this psalm in response to this exchange that he had with Nathan. So in a lot of instances, and I love to try to delve into what is this person, what's that person thinking, what was, you know, why'd they do this? We don't always get the, one of the people's exact response, but here we do. So I want to read this. We've, we've got enough time, so I want to read this. And I don't know if I'll get through all of it, but there's a few things in here that are just beautiful to me uh, as as and this is part of David, he writes this as, uh, as his apology. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. I love this right here. Thou desirest truth in the, in the inward parts. Remember I was talking about God sees down inside. Whereas a parent or as a judge or somebody that's you know looking, we don't get to see what's inside. We can try to figure it out, but God knows. And to really apologize... You know, somebody can come up here and kneel down and pray and get up and say, I'm really sorry, and they may not be. But in that, that real apology is right here. I mean, it has to be come from the heart. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Now here's where I was wanting to get to. Uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David was saved. All right. His soul was saved. His heart, which is where we make our decisions... Once we're saved, our heart is where we make our decisions. God saves our soul, and it's, it's cleaned up and sealed. It's our responsibility to keep that heart in a place where we're listening to God and making godly decisions. And that's what David's saying here. David wasn't saved and then lost again. He was always saved, but he certainly wasn't where God wanted him to be. 
Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. I think David got why God punishes us. He says it right here. Restore me. Give me back the joy of thy salvation. And make me an example so that I can lead transgressors back and hopefully I can be an inspiration to someone who's lost and they can come and be saved. I think David got it. I mean, it, it sounds to me like he did. When you read this in conjunction with uh, the 12th chapter of Second Samuel. So, does anybody have any comments? I appreciate your, your attention and your prayers today, uh, but does anybody have any comments or any questions before we finish up? God forgave David. David still had a punishment to pay. And God made it clear to David why that was. So, when we transgress, God will forgive us, but there is punishment even after that forgiveness. God told David, the sword shall not depart from thy door. And he had told David previously that he was going to let him build a house to honor God. That's back in that seventh chapter when Nathan was there talking to David. That's what that's about. After this happened, God didn't allow David to build that house. He allowed Solomon to build it, but he didn't allow David to build it. So there was some consequence, and that's just what Bill was saying the world doesn't want there to be any consequence to whatever happens. Just do whatever that you feel good in doing and everything will be okay. That's just not the way that it is. But if you follow God, there's a real blessing in following God. And if you don't, then there will be consequences that, that you'll have to pay. God is merciful. And God heard David. And what a great... Uh, exchange that takes place here and if you get anything out of all of this today go back and read the part where David apologized because as bad as the transgression was his apology I really think was textbook and we, we all could learn a lot from the way David approached it Certainly, it's hard for me to understand, um, but the child died. David had lots of problems after this. His son, Absalom, uh, went against him, uh, fought against him, tried to take over the kingdom. Um, so he just had lots and lots of problems that followed him after this that he brought on himself. And um, I think that one of the most difficult things, and I've heard a few people stand and acknowledge this, and I think how hard it would have to be, but to stand and say, I messed up, and I'm in, in my mistakes, my children are now not following God, and I know that that's directly because of the mistake that I made. And I think how hard that would be uh, because certainly we love our children and our grandchildren and we want them to do well. Uh, we want them to follow God and lean on him. And if God shows us 
that what we have done is why or part of why they're not following him, that had just you know would have to crush you. And I know David realized that uh, with Absalom. I mean, God told him the sword's not going to depart from from your door. And then shortly thereafter, I think it was about six years, according to the timeline that I was looking at, that Absalom rose up and, and went against David. But uh, thank you for your attention. Uh, Brother Carl will be back uh, next Sunday. Lee? That's good. Appreciate that. Anybody else? All right. You're dismissed.